0: Welcome UndraftedFreeAgent.com, episode four of the Mid-Major Podcast. I'm Chris McKee. I'm going to chat a little Gonzaga as we do every week when you have the number one team in the country that's a Mid-Major. We're absolutely going to follow it on the Mid-Major Podcast. So the big news, Jalen Suggs, the McDonald's All-American, the highest recruit, highest-rated recruit in Gonzaga history, goes down injured in the first half versus West Virginia, rolled his left leg, it looked really bad, got helped off the floor, he was writhing around in pain on the floor, but then eventually makes a comeback in the second half. He was still very ginger, though well, it's at least a good sign for Gonzaga and for the mid-major people that Jalen's going to be back in the lineup. Looks like he should be okay moving ahead. We'll chat a little bit about that throughout the pod today. We're also going to chat Santa Clara Broncos, Santa Clara 4-0, with wins over idaho state uc davis nickel state and cal state bakersfield we are chat about the steve nash effect on the santa clara program that's how i became familiar with them back in the early 90s and that magical run of the tournament in 93 we'll talk some steve nash we're going to play some clips from my interview with herb sendek the head coach of santa clara Chatted with him during the offseason. We talked about the Canadians. He's got just about the general direction of the program. And, of course, Steve Nash's effect on Santa Clara. And I want to chat about some of the mid-major games this week. Big one on Tuesday night. UC Riverside beat Washington 57-42. And so that's, you know... Calamity for the Washington Huskies opening off by losing to UC Riverside. And There's already been a trickle-down effect I just saw online shortly before tape on this pod. Naz Carter, who is one of the Washington Husky players, and the nephew of Jay-Z, Sean Carter, for those who didn't know, Jay-Z's real name. I believe it's Jay-Z's brother's son. That's how they're related, but uh, it's Jay-Z's nephew. I've seen pictures with him. I saw Naz playing in person here in Toronto last year when they had the Naismith and a bunch of games. Uh, Mid-major teams, they had St. Bonaventure, Harvard, Buffalo. I don't know. Who else am I missing? But also Tennessee and Washington and Rutgers. I watched down there. But Naz Carter leaving Washington to go play pro. So things looking worse for the Huskies. I know it's not mid-major, but uh, UC Riverside, good start for them. University of Illinois, Chicago, UIC, 66-50 over Valpo on Tuesday. Illinois, Chicago now 3-0 with wins over Northern Illinois, Central Michigan, and Valpo. They got Ball State up next on the weekend. And so, shout out to my guy, Dion Edgem, another Toronto guy. I called Dion's high school games a little bit. Played for TRC Academy down in Brantford, the home of Wayne Gretzky. And he's a sophomore guard down at UIC. They've had a pretty good run of Canadians down there. Marcus Audi, another guy from Ajax who just graduated last year. And I believe they had a couple others. I think Brandon John, maybe he's transferred out. Anyways, so Dion, the younger brother of Melvin Edgem the 2014 Big 12 Player of the Year with Iowa State. This is a basketball family. He's got a brother, Ryan Edgem, that played with Carlton, which is the powerhouse of Canadian University basketball. For those that aren't familiar, so a lot of mid-major programs and even major programs coming up to Canada during the offseason. They do their trips and Carlton usually a big part of that and I believe Carlton won oh god, I, I don't know. I'm guessing about a dozen in a row against American universities. I went Up when Ryan was part of Ryan Edgem, who's Dion's little brother or older brother, excuse me, was part of Carlton 2016 17. Wichita State come up with Greg Marshall there, and this and Carlton ran them out the gym. So, uh, it's Carlton's not a program to be messed with. I know, like I said, a good run of a dozen straight or so beating NCAA programs, anyways. Also, Dion's other brother Kenny Edgem is the all time leading three point shooter in the history of Humber College, which is a for. In America, if you're listening to this, it's a basically Division II basketball, but Humber, a long tradition of basketball. It's right in Toronto, so a lot of guys come in and out of that program. And then also Dion's sister, Yvonne Edgem, is with Gonzaga, and she's been a part of the Canadian national team program. And so talk about a basketball family. So shout out Dion Edgem with University of Illinois Chicago. Also FIU. Florida International beating Central Michigan on Tuesday. FIU now 3-0. Out the gates pretty quick. Also, Dayton begins the post-OB Toppin era with a 66-63 win over Eastern Illinois earlier this week. So, good start for them. At Dayton, they play SMU on Saturday. And also Wednesday. So, Illinois State, 177-108 versus Greenville again. Here's this D3 team, Greenville. I know Sanford played them last week and dropped 174 on them, I believe. And someone else might have been head State. I didn't even look up their schedule. But that's three times in a week I've seen this D3 school get whacked for 175 points in a night. First question is, why are we scheduling games against this D3 team? I know what's going on in this world I, I, you know getting the games hard to come by. you just want to get the boys out there playing and it's great to see. but what purpose does it serve where these D3 kids are going out getting whacked? by Division One players every night, 177 points a night. I mean, that's embarrassing. I've called a lot of games, you know, high school and college and some pro, you know, on CBC Sports and TSN Radio here in Canada. I've never seen scores like that. That's not a basketball game. I haven't even seen scrimmages that bad. So I don't understand why they keep rolling out these Greenville kids. I'm sure it's a great experience for them. But what does it prove you waxing a D3 school by 100 points Anyway, so, well, kudos to Illinois State for getting the win. But um, I'm kind of, it was funny the first time I saw it against Sanford. I'm already over that story right now. South Dakota State beats Iowa State earlier this week, 71-68. That's Wednesday night. So that was a bye game for Iowa State. And they lost to, quote, John Rothstein, the epitome of brutality, losing a bye game. Rhode Island beats Seton Hall, 76-63. And I watched a good chunk of the Davidson versus UNLV game the other night on television. Davidson won 77-73. The last three minutes of that game, really interesting. It was a fascinating game. It was a lot of back and forth. It was a bit of a blowout for a while by Davidson. And then UNLV crept back in. Really liked Davidson's senior guard, Carter Collins. This guy's a nice player. Kid out of Chapel Hill. Uh, you know, obviously probably disappointed. Uh, didn't get the call from Roy Williams but has built a little nice career for himself at Davidson. This guy was so money. So 10 of 11 from the free throw line, including hitting two free throws with three seconds left to ice the game for Davidson. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, that's that's a kid to watch out for Carter Collins on Davidson. Davidson looked pretty good. You know, UNLV, you know, not quite there yet. It's a disappointing start for them, but uh good start for Davidson regardless. And then last night, Thursday night, I'm taping this Friday afternoon into the evening, Winthrop beats Arkansas. Little Rock, 80-75. Winthrop now 2-0. Western Carolina, 4-1 out the gate after they beat Newberry. Louisiana Tech, 3-0 after a win over Louisiana Monroe, 78-62. And Drake, talked about Drake, uh, one of the earlier pods, episode 2, I believe. That's a team to watch out for this year. Uh, they're they're three and zero right now. They beat Omaha, and uh, that's a team to keep an eye on. So, moving ahead or moving back to Gonzaga, Jalen Suggs. I was watching that game. Talk about a hype game versus West Virginia. I mean, Bob Huggins' defense. What a test for Mark Few and his Gonzaga troops. But um. When Suggs went down, it, it was bad, man, because I was sitting there. I, I literally just wrote an article the day before how I believe Jalen Suggs is the best player in college basketball. If you listen to my last two pods, episode two and three, um, we talked about Jalen extensively. This guy is a freakish athlete, special. Uh, I, I compared him. He's the type of athlete you can put him up there with Bo Jackson, Deion Sanders, two-sport athlete in high school, and really special. He goes down with a left ankle injury. And everyone holding their breath. <laughs> now what? Now what for Gonzaga? But Andrew Nemhart, another guy I've spoke about extensively throughout the first couple episodes of this podcast. Canadian boy, Aurora Ontario, the Florida transfer. And he showed up. And I've said it before. Andrew is an NBA player. Mark my words. He will get a shot in the league. And with Suggs down, Nemhart steps up. I believe he had 19. But he he took over the game and was the best player on the floor. So Mark Few knows he's got safety nets. And that's the real sign of a number one team. When maybe one of your best players goes down, doesn't really affect them. They end up beating West Virginia pretty comfortably, 87-82. And uh, coming up next on Set Now, you want to talk about a test. So Saturday, Gonzaga versus Baylor. Number one versus number two. That's going to be a big matchup. And, I mean, if Gonzaga gets that win watch out because they got a pretty easy run of the schedule for most of December. After that, they got Tarleton state coming up after the Baylor game, Tarleton state, one of these teams it's a D two team. And this is their first year in division one. Uh, Cause I kept seeing, I know they played Stephen F Austin the other day and the lumberjacks beat them. But I was like, why is this D two school keep getting all these games? And I looked at their schedule. I'm like, Oh no, no, they are now officially a D one team. So congrats to Tarleton state. But, uh, they're going to get waxed by Gonzaga, I imagine. And then they play Southern. Uh, Sean Woods, the head coach at Southern, the former Kentucky legend. I spoke to Sean a couple years ago. I'll play that audio probably uh, as we get into the new year. But I talked to him about he was on the floor, Sean Woods, for Kentucky when Christian Laettner made the shot for Duke. He was in that game. He hit the shot right but He hit about a 15-foot jump shot right before to put Kentucky ahead. And then Laettner hits the, the shot Uh, I mean, you've all seen it. Any basketball fans seen it? Sean was on the floor with that for that. And I talked to him about that. And he talked, he explained how he's just happy being a part of destiny. You know, I'm sure he wanted to be on the winning end of it. But um, I think he was just happy he was on the floor to be a part of that and be a part of history. And he's sort of come to... To, to grips with it and come to terms with it. So check that. It's up on my YouTube page. You can check that out. Just type in Chris McKee on YouTube and Sean Woods. It'll probably come up. So that's who Gonzaga's got. And then they play Northern Arizona, Idaho. And then finally on December 19th, they play Iowa. So if they get through this Baylor matchup, you know, pencil in another three, four wins for them before they have another test versus Iowa. So Santa Clara basketball wanted to chat 4-0 out the gate. You know, they're going to be one of the teams that's going to push Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference, along with St. Mary's, as well as Pacific, off to a pretty good start. They should give them a game. BYU, off to a good start, going to give them a game. Santa Clara this year, led by Canadian Josip Vrancic, leading Santa Clara out the gate. He's averaging 18.8 points per game so far throughout the first four games. He was second team all West Coast Conference last year. I predicted he's going to have... A uh, big-time year, probably first-team West Coast Conference in, in, in the running for player of the year. And obviously, I'm just going to be one of the Gonzaga guys that get it, but Yasa going to be in that mix. Also, 7.3 rebounds per game. And then Jaden Betiaco, one of my guys, I, I like Jaden. I called a bunch of his high school games at Ridley College up here in Ontario. And Jaden's averaging 9.8 rebounds per game so far. He's been dominant on the boards. Jaden, a legit 6'10", 6'11". He's the older brother of Charles Betiaco, Who's one of the highest recruits? I don't know if he's decided yet. I know he's gotten offers from like Duke and Michigan State, but I don't think he's decided. I could be wrong, but I haven't checked on that in a while. But um, yeah, he's he's the big bro, great kid. It's been a part of the Canadian national team program, and I'm happy to see his success. Uh, they got a pretty good run ahead of them, look to be pretty comfortable, and they don't play Gonzaga until January 7th, and then they follow it up on January 9th playing St. Mary's. So Herb Sendek, who's been the head coach, of Santa Clara since 2016. Prior to that, he was the head coach at Arizona State. We'll chat a little bit about that. But uh, as of right now, they got three Canadians on the team. They got Miguel Tomley, another kid I called his high school games, Vrancic, who I just mentioned, and Betty Ako. And I think they just recruited another one, another signing. I don't know if he's playing this year or next year, but uh, it's always been a uh, heavily Canadian influenced program dating back to the days of Steve Nash. And I chatted with Herb over the summer and he talked to me about the three Canadians he's got, the three guys I just mentioned, as well as the impact Steve Nash has had on his team and the program at Santa Clara. Take a listen to that audio right now. Herb Sendek, head coach, Santa Clara.
1: We absolutely uh, love each of those young men. All three you know, bring tremendous character to our program. Uh, all three are outstanding young players. We've really uh, been a tremendous beneficiary of Canadian basketball.
0: So, expanding on that, I mean, obviously, my first introduction to Santa Clara, Steve Nash playing there, Um, can you explain, you know, one, what Steve Nash is meant to the program, obviously, long before your time, but kind of, and maybe perhaps any recent interactions with him and, and your current players and staff? Sure. Well,
1: you know, Steve is obviously a legendary and iconic player in our sport. You know, few have played it better at his position. Um, but beyond that, few, if any, have represented themselves, their teams, and in, in our case, our university, the way he has. He's the consummate um, giver. He's the consummate gentleman. Uh, that, this past August, he actually um, spoke to our team,
0: and his insights and perspectives were, were absolutely brilliant. So that's Herb Sendek, head coach at Santa Clara, talking about the impact Steve's had. Nash, he's spent some time with the boys throughout the summer. That was great to see. You know, Steve Nash is going to be the head coach of the Brooklyn Nets this year. Coming up with KD and uh, Kyrie and whoever else ends up signing there all throughout the summer. But, you know, one of the early introductions to college basketball for me is, you know, I've been watching for a few years. And in 1993, Steve Nash with Santa Clara, relatively unknown. You know, nobody knew who he was at this point or even who the heck Santa Clara was. I certainly didn't. And then they get to the NCAA tournament and as a 15 seed, and they knock off the number two Arizona Wildcats. At that time, it was only the second time a 15 seed had beaten a two seed. And, I mean, this was revolutionary for basketball in Canada and even just for March Madness. You know, we, we hadn't had the UMBC-Virginia upset. That was still 25 years uh, previous to that. And so a 15-beat and a 2 was very improbable. And uh, I, I remember watching the game vividly. It was, you know, Steve Nash hit six free throws in the last 30 seconds to ice the game. You want to talk about money? I mean, that's that's the kind of guy he's had. I, I always remember the story. Dick Davy, who was the head coach who recruited Steve Nash uh, to Santa Clara, when someone sent him some video, and he liked what he saw, and he ends up going up to Canada. Steve's from Victoria, which is on Vancouver Island. You know, you got to take a ferry from Vancouver over to Victoria, and it is beautiful, Victoria. Victoria's for old people, though. It's a place people go to retire. I've been there a bunch of times. It's beautiful. But um, so Dick Davey goes up, and he's sitting in this gym watching Steve Nash, and he's he always sucks. He was looking around, you know, t- talking to his assistant, going, "Is anybody else here? Is there anyone else in this gym?" Because they couldn't believe what they were seeing and the type of player Steve Nash was, and they were just hoping nobody else was recruiting this kid because they knew they had a steal in him. So uh, you can find some pretty good audio or a video on Steve Nash talking about that uh, and and his time there, but influential, definitely to say the least. Now Herb Sendek, one of the other. Things he's known for besides coaching at Santa Clara right now, he also coached. He was the head coach at North Carolina State, and then was the head coach from 2006 to 2015 at Arizona State. And he was the guy that recruited James Harden. So you you want to talk about a guy with an eye for talent? This guy found James Harden, and I asked Herb. During our conversation, and I'm always fascinated with this. I always any guys that's any guys that have coached NBA guys or high level guys. What's the separating factor? What separates a guy who's a pretty good Big Twelve player or a pretty good Big Ten player to being an NBA superstar? You know, I, I remember chatting with Randy Ray, the Weaver State head coach. Anytime I get him on the phone, he's been great with me. Play some of that audio throughout the pod in the next couple of weeks. But he recruited Damian Lillard to Weaver State and he, he, he talks very openly about, you know, he didn't think Damian was that good. He used to say he was an average player, and it's Damian's work ethic. And so this is Herb Sendek explaining what's the difference between a guy like James Harden and a regular, you know, Big Ten, Big 12 player.
1: Well, I mean, obviously the, the, the talent is, is critical. I mean, the guys you're mentioning have incredible gifts and talent, and, you know, there's there's no getting around that. You know, in James's case, he also possesses an extremely high basketball IQ. Just has a tremendous uh, feel for the game. Has extraordinary vision and body control. But he's worked hard on his craft. Obviously, he has taken his skills to an incredible level. He's, you know, he's improved uh, not only throughout his high school and college careers, but it seems. Like every year he's
0: been in the NBA, he's taken another step forward. He keeps getting better. So that's Herb Sendek talking James Harden. Now, one of the other things, I talked about this in the opening pod when we chatted about Rick Pitino, how... You know, my first introduction to college basketball was in 1987. I went down to Providence College. Well, I went down to Providence, Rhode Island to play in a hockey tournament. The family we stayed with took me to go watch the Providence Friars play hockey. And it was a great experience. And a couple weeks later, I come home, Providence Friars in the NCAA tournament. Billy Donovan's the point guard. Rick Patino's the head coach. And I'm hooked. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Well, Herb Sendek, one of Patino's assistants on that magical run in 1987. So, of course, you know, having Herb on the phone, I had to chat with him just about his memories of that time. I know my memories of that time. It's one of the reasons I'm sitting here talking to you and you're listening to me. It helped create my love of college basketball along with, you know, the Steve Nashes as well as Rick Fox, Canadian guy playing with North Carolina. But here's Herb talking about his memories of the 1987 magical Final Four run for the Providence College Friars.
1: Well, i tell you what, you, you could literally write a book on that season because I really believe it's um, one of the best stories ever in college basketball. What Coach Patino did with the Providence program and that particular team during the 87 season was nothing short of remarkable. Only his second season at Providence, he engineered uh, as dramatic a turnaround, as fast a turnaround as I can ever remember in college basketball. And It was certainly um, punctuated by the fact that Coach Patino and his wife Joanne lost their son as the team drove home from New York after the Big East tournament and so Coach carried that tremendous sorrow uh, into the NCAA tournament where I think we were a sixth seed and we opened up on the road at UAD literally playing on their home court and then it took uh, a miraculous come back against Austin P who had upset Illinois in the first round to advance to the Sweet 16, where we dismantled an extremely talented Alabama team. Then, as fate would have it, we faced Georgetown in the Elite Eight. And Georgetown was the same team that had blown us out a few weeks earlier in the Big East tournament. And this time, uh, the tables turned and, and we
0: had a runaway victory and found ourselves headed to New Orleans. So there you go, Herb Sendek talking Rick Patino and Providence College. So thanks for checking in on this week's podcast. Of course, check me out on Twitter at Mr. McKee. Go to undraftedfreeagent.com. Subscribe to the podcast, whether it's on iTunes, Spotify, even YouTube, whatever, please. And then also, we're trying to build the socials for Undrafted Free Agent. It's a work in progress, but um, hopefully uh, you've enjoyed the pod so far. We're going to keep delivering them. And I hope you keep listening. I'm Chris McKee. Thanks for joining us.
1: The beating of my heart, beating of my heart.